Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and we're midway through our premiership defence. We currently sit second on the ladder after having won the first 10 games of the season, followed by three consecutive losses. A feat that was last achieved by a top-of-the-table team in 1975 when the Hawks, who also lost three games in a row, while starting all three rounds on top. They went on to lose the grand final that year. The Ds have a daunting run home and are at a crossroads. Will this be a repeat of 1965 when the Ds won their first eight games and then went on to only win two of the remaining ten and subsequently missed out on finals? That is every Ds fan's nightmare this season as we try to make sense of this form slump. Are we still the real deal or are we the joker in the pack? Tonight, my co-host and I will give our thoughts on our season to date, what's gone right, what's gone wrong and what needs to be changed, who was surprised and who are our biggest threats. Joining me to discuss all that tonight is longtime Demonlander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Demonlanders, and good evening, Bin Man. Or do we call you Mushy tonight? <laughs> Mushy. Apparently, that's the uh, a name I've never heard. The nickname for Bull Baker. Well, joining us also tonight, uh, he's going to provide some positivity. You've already heard uh, from from him, uh, Bin Man. Good evening, Bin Man. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. Good evening, Demonlanders. And yep. Middle of the year, it was quite um, good watching other teams struggle so mightily, those other top four teams. And I have to say, I had a very successful punt backing in my my loading philosophy. So it's paid for, who, who it's paid for many a grand final ticket. So, um, oh, look, I got... Uh, um, I, the Saints are back because I figured... The, sorry, the uh, Bombers are back for a win and the nice. line on the loading theory... And that was just the beginning of it. So it was a very successful weekend. Well, you might have something there with the whole loading thing. I, I must admit I wasn't totally convinced that, that it's all just the loading. But I did look at St Kilda on the weekend and they looked like they were, you know, running in mud for the first half. They came out after half time and sort of piled on five quick goals. But uh, then they were back in the mud uh, for the rest of the game. Yeah, and I said just before I came on, the, I watched the first 20 minutes of 360 tonight and they were talking about it. And, then, and Waitley, I, like I just beg his belief to be honest, but Waitley was talking exactly about that point. He said, you know, their attitude was terrible. They come into the sheds at halftime and get a rev up. They play great for 20 minutes, which they did, um, and get the score back level almost. In fact, they might have even got in front of them by a few points and then ran out of steam. And, of course, Waitley puts that down to an attitude um, issue that they're just not switched on and as opposed to the more logical fact that they're exhausted, they've just had a twenty full 20-minute 20 rest at halftime and so if they're ever going to be a fresher, it's directly after the halftime break. Um, but, of course, they don't talk about it and Saints fans, are, you know, probably Saints fans are going, what's going on? We're in our mid-form slump. We've got no chance. We're terrible. Um, you know, we know the script, don't we? That we do, um, at the risk of uh, digging up the freshly buried curse of Norm Smith, you know, I did invoke the memories of 1965 in my opening uh, because there is a parallel with what transpired in that first part of the 1965 season and obviously with the exception of a coach getting sacked and we've actually re-signed our coach. You know, we've now lost three games on the trot and that form slum mirrors uh, what uh, began to happen in 1965 and as we know, the Ds did miss the finals that year. 
and now we will go into our run home and uh, we'll go into later on in the show, we will go into our run home and any of the factors that have contributed to the form slump. Uh, But are either of you guys a little worried that uh, we could miss finals or or slip right down in that uh, top eight scenario? Um, Or is that just my paranoia, uh, the dreaded MFC is is rearing its ugly head or is it the loading... uh, a big man, you wow. any worries there? <laughs> Missing the eight. Come on, Andy. I've got to worry about you. Um, thinking that even saying that sentence. Your, alone, well, your your eight. buddy uh, Montagna, Lee Montagna yeah, from I the heard. first crack, he he says yeah, I he's, to that. he said we could miss the eight, but he's yeah. also the guy who said we could go a few weeks ago said we could go undefeated. So okay, I don't know well, what to believe. Bookies, as I've talked about before, set the market and punters respond, and it's a far better way of assessing the accuracy of a um, football event than you know reading commentators or watching who tips who. And we're a dollar four. You can get a dollar four for us to make the eight. So go figure. You well, know, what's the market? That's longer than Winks goes, shorter than Winks goes around, uh, went around. If I would like to take We're a bet against the D's. For the what, grand final still no, no, at 360. What can you get on Melbourne missing the finals? That that seems the more lucrative. Well, if it were $1.04, uh, you'd probably get, <laughs> I don't know, 15 bucks to make the, miss the finals. Uh, George, Give me a second, I can tell you. <laughs> George, are you, uh, I'll let you have looked that up while I ask George. George, any worries in your, in, uh, in your camp? Um, not really, Andy. The the question uh, when we've got ten wins already banked in the uh, in the in the uh, as far as the season's concerned, it's going to be very hard to to fall over at the line to miss out. You're probably only going to need twelve to thirteen games to get into the finals component. The difficult part for us is um, what's coming up um, and how what extent the injuries are going to affect us over the coming weeks, particularly as we play a number of um, top-level sides, but um, we'll certainly get enough wins over the last part of the season to be able to get us into finals. And, you know, just a couple of years ago, as Demon supporters, we would have been eternally grateful for that. Um, the old Brad, uh, Bradbury plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, um, you know, our expectations are a little bit higher now. And, and as Bin Man said, you know, the, the real real assessors know, know that um, uh, the chances of us being at the – Sharp end of the season are, are pretty pretty damn good, um, even if even with the last couple of losses we've had. We're nineteen dollars, Andy, to miss the eight. So go for it. I, I suggest you put a lobster on it just to pay for your MFCS and the treatment <laughs> because you'll get a grand back. So the, um, I mean, I'm worried about finishing the top four, not because of the strength of us as a footy team. That's just, I mean, it just I, I find it a strange dynamic that. You know, six weeks ago, we were the best team. People were talking about us going unbeaten, comparing us to the 2018 Tigers that didn't make the final, the 17 or the Hawks or the Cats in their dominant um, period. And then suddenly on the back of some losses, given all of the things leaving aside the fatigue, the in-game injury that we've talked about, the the fact that we've not had our best 22 on the field, 
we can suddenly drop off. But again, you know, not without pumping up the markets, but it hasn't shifted at all because all of the teams are struggling. Brisbane's struggling at the moment. We just saw it. Saints, who I really rate, um, are struggling. Um, West Coast um, got within three goals. We're leading in the third quarter against Geelong and West Coast are barely playing an AFL standard um, outside of that game. I mean, it's just a, it's a, so, but my concern is that the injuries are mounting, and I guess we'll talk about that. And that there's some, th- you know, a lot's got to go right to win a flag. A lot's got to go right to even finish top four. Um, and a lot's gone right this year, but quite a few things have also gone wrong, not least of which we can never get our best um, 22 in the park. So, you know, has there been one game where we've had our best 22 all season? No. No. I don't think so. And if you looked at it last year, I reckon there was out of the 23, well, you could probably make a case for each of those rounds we had our best 22 because there were so few injuries that the um, coach and the coaching staff made the decision that that was the best 22. There might have been a few times when there was some selection sorts of shuffling to try to, you know, maybe milkshim to try and whatever. But we were pretty close to every game we played last year to having our best 22. And we just agreed that we're at round 13 or whatever we are now, past the halfway point of the season. And there's not been one single game that we've had our best 22 on the park. And yet we're 10-3. Um, you know, I think that we, we how quickly the Melbourne fans have got conditioned to winning, um, you know, and then therefore a loss is always looked through the lens of, an epic failure, and then we we laugh at Goodwin for saying you learn more from losses than you do from wins, and that every time you play is an opportunity for learning. Um, you know, where those you know, looking at those games dispassionately, we played terrific to be as close as we did. Yeah, well, we were we had comfortable leads in uh, in all three, um, mm-hmm. arguably, and that's without a forward line functioning and. <laughs> And a defensive system. Not but we're going to have to get used to enough forward line because the news today from the injury list uh, has Tom McDonald, and I'll speak more about uh, Tom McDonald and um, not having him in the team a bit later on. Um, he's going to be out ten to twelve weeks, and that takes us Oy. into into finals. So, um, right, he, we might have to live uh, life without uh, T Mac this year. So we're going to have to find. A replacement, and um, we'll talk more about that a bit later on. Let's uh, get into the first part of our uh, show. A bit of a statistical overview. I've uh, hi- highlighted uh, two uh, two areas, and the first one is the pressure factor. Factor, and the biggest worry for the demons in terms of statistics this season, when compared to last season, is the pressure factor. Now, be man, this is only a comparison. Uh, is a comparison of the 2021 average and the 2022 average to date. So, no, it's not a comparison of 2022 to date and the equivalent 2021 at the same time this season. Uh, Nevertheless, it's still an area of concern and the factor... Uh, in some of the losses we have, uh, you know, the, our lack of pressure has been a factor in some of the losses we have endured this season. Last year, we ranked third on the pressure scale, and it would be no surprise to anyone who has watched the D's last season and then has witnessed them this season to know that we have plummeted to 16th uh, this year. Um, and I'm, uh, big man, I'm not exactly sure what measurements they are gauging to measure pressure when, when I've got those stats. 
you know, uh, do you have any insight into that? Um, it, it depends which one, and this is, goes to my This was on the AFL site where they said that. So, yeah, it's a bit different with Fox Footy, have a different pressure gauge. Well, that's the problem, and that's like – and so the Fox Football pressure meter has a whole lot of things that come together to create that stat. They aggregate them together, and it's – you know, you see it. They're currently 225 and going yeah. off, and they're 178. So it was interesting in that that St Kilda game that I referenced, um, the I watched the, the the I think I forget the show that it was directly afterwards, but they showed uh, I think it was just the post game they showed that quarter the third quarter, which was really interesting because it was the first half of that third quarter when the they kicked the five goals that you mentioned and came out of the um, sheds firing, their pressure rating was two thirty eight for fifteen minutes, and then it dropped away to one seventy eight. Um, for the second half and they got swamped by um, their opponents. So I thought that was quite interesting because you almost got a direct, they point put that up but not in the context of fatigue or loading and you could directly almost see the drop-off because of, of that um, number. But that pressure number is the one that Fox talks about a lot and it's things like tackle, corralling gets um, counted in there, one percenters, um, defensive, I think, I'm pretty sure defensive running, a whole lots of yeah. four or five or six different individual things to give that meter. But I'm not sure whether the number, whether that's the champion data you're well, referring to. In um, any case, it, it, we're down. We're, we're at the bottom uh, of the end, whereas we were at the top of the end uh, last last season. And that's the, that's the point I'm making because pressure was yeah. a hallmark of our premiership season 2021. It's virtually non-existent uh, this year. And I'm sure there are factors for it, uh, uh, you know, I guess we know how important pressure is. Uh, uh, you know, why is it down is the question I guess I want to ask you guys and how and can we get it back and how can we get it back? Um, be mad, I'll start with you, George. You can jump in as well. Well, we sort of touched on this last week and that was the question that I asked about was about a similar thing. So we're also number – we're way down on without the ball, which is yeah. a measurement of what the sort of running and defensive pressure you do when you don't have the ball. That's which the we AOR. were doing last year very, very well. We were, yeah, that's our other big statistical drop. Um, but what's interesting is that we haven't dropped at all in contested ball. I had um, – you know, we're still way up the top in terms of contested mm-hmm. ball. Our tackle numbers inside 50 are, are strong. Um, we're, like so in some of the other me- measures of uh, our contested ball, our clearance numbers, some of the other um, measures that you could say indicate attitude and effort, we're really strong in. Um, and that was the question I asked George last week is, well, why? If what would be the cause of the drop-off? And is there any sense where that might be possible that it's not conscious? But I think it reflects, my answer would be is that it reflects a bit of a shift in how they're thinking about their preparation for the pointy end of the season. Um, I made the point last week that Gus plays so much deeper than he has previously. Our winger plays so much deeper as well, Jordan, um, as if we're inviting pressure into our defensive. Um, And part of what we're not doing is swarming forward, and that's where you get your big pressure number up. You get that swarm um, going forward. We're not doing that as much. Goody said it as much in the first week or second week. Remember he said something like, well, we don't really care about the opposition scoring. Where What we're trying to do is it was almost as if they're trying to sharpen their back defensive work and it was an exercise in that. And I, I suspect if you take away that push 
pushing from the halfback flank in the way we do when we're on, your pressure number um, drops. Um, I mean, it also might be that, you know, we've not had our best 22 in. I mean, that's probably a factor. We've had in-game injuries um, definitely in the last three weeks. Um, that's clear what, we're, you know, what the fatigue could do. But um, I don't think it indicates a sense of complacency, which is what number of commentators have implied um you know i don't think that's an issue i i think it's a really interesting question and maybe it's as simple as we're not as ramped up as we were um i think goody we needed to win we needed to win five six seven of the first ten last year otherwise we weren't gonna um you know we're uh, we weren't gonna um, push for top four we're in a better shape this year for pushing top four and so i do wonder whether there's been some calculated um you know, tinkering around that. And and I'd love to ask Goody this question, but whether it's also part of, you know, the game, it's not just the physical stuff. There's a lot of talk about the physical stuff, but mentally I wonder, is it possible to be at that highly aroused state all season at that, that level that we were last year without coming having done that all season in a shorter break? Um, I don't know that it, it is, and maybe that's part of the, you know, part of the way that Goody's preparing the, the players. Uh, I'm not quite sure. George, anything to add in terms of not, not a great deal. Um, I, I think the question, it's very easy just to look at numbers and in statistics at these sort of things. Um, I suspect, um, <clears throat> as Binman rightly pointed out, there's a, a certain factor associated with who we've got on the field and their capability. Or we've got people like Langdon, um, who's been out for a couple of weeks. Um, the forward line hasn't been in its usual structures and neither is the back line. So you'd expect some sort of drop-off in terms of consistency. But is it because we're actually utilising the ball in a different way? And I think that might be the case. Um, the opposition gets pressure acts when we've got the ball. Uh, we don't. So uh, are we holding on more? Are we looking at different options? So I suspect that might be might be part of it as well. But I hate just looking at statistics just for the point of, of numbers. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we've got 10 wins and three losses. Nobody else is um, um, any worse than that in the competition yet. And yet there are teams like Collingwood, for example, who are claimed to be high-pressure teams, or Richmond, are now sitting in the middle of the table. You know, the pressure acts that they're performing aren't getting in the, the results. So I think it's a bit of a moot point that people are pointing to one one thing uh, simply to understand why we've lost the last three games when uh, <clears throat> I said Big Bin Man is absolutely right. There are other reasons for losing those three games. Um, yeah, there certainly is. Uh, the next one is the inside 50 differential. And uh, our inside 50 differential is a statistic where we have actually improved this season uh, from fourth last year to first this year. However, this statistic actually highlights an area of concern. Uh, and I'll go a bit more into it a bit later on. And this is our inability to score, which has been a massive factor uh uh, late in games, particularly in the last three weeks. And, you know, if this continues, then I think we're we're in for a world of pain even once the whole, you know, we get past this loading phase. If we can't score, um, that's going to be a big problem. You know, I think I've got confidence in our ability to keep uh, scores down once May's back and our, our back line's a bit more settled. Um, but we're down this season from 12th to 15th for goals per inside 50. And I'm positive that this statistic is even worse 
in the last three weeks, and I know for a fact that without Tom McDonald into the side, uh, we score six, almost six goals less a game on average. So the statistical problem here is not our ability to get the ball into our forward line. We're the number one team at that, as I said. Our problem is a scoring issue. Particularly, I think it's being able to market inside 50. That's a big problem. And then, I guess, keeping it in the forward line too. And I guess I, what I ask you, can we turn that around? Uh, is this uh, and, and how can we turn around? Is it a personnel problem? which I think it is, given that uh, without T-Mac, we mark balls less um, and we score less without him in the team. Uh, Or do we need to change up how we go into 50? Do we need to lower the eyes, hit up leads, rather than bomb it in and go uh, to the pocket as we have been doing? George, I might start with you. A difficult one again, isn't it, Andy? I'd be interested to know what, for example, um, the Bulldog situation is in the absence of Josh Bruce for all of this season. (laughs) Yeah, who will be back soon. But uh, I I think the primary reason is is the um, personnel. Um, uh, T-Mac was obviously suffering before he was finally decided that um, he had that injury. And certainly in his absence, we've we've really felt it. Uh, We've had Wiedemann in there trying you know, for a couple of games to to show um, what he's capable of, and unfortunately he hasn't. Um, so we haven't had a forward line with a with a, a suitable structure. Ben Brown struggled in the last couple of weeks as well uh, because he's been left on his own. So it's not surprising that that's dropped off. Um, it will be interesting, um, but our biggest factor is is the personnel in there. We need, you know, I think the the formula is that you really need two big strong forwards. You know, the old classic. Centre half mm. forward and full forward, wherever they play these days, you know, could be in the pockets that they play. Um, but uh, um, we really haven't found them this year, except when T Mac was in form and Ben Brown was in form early on. We looked pretty impressive. Um, so it's going to be interesting for. And, uh, and we don't have Max going no, down there. Max has kicked a lot of goals this year. Don't yeah. have him for three to five weeks or yeah, two to yeah, four. Exactly. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm never ever sure about the lowering the eyes thing. Um, <laughs> well, the commentators <laughs> love saying that. They love it, yeah, they love it. Yeah, I don't know how you lower your eyes to find someone who's <laughs> – or, or would you overlook them? <laughs> would you overlook at them? I mean, in any case, even maybe if, less lowering of the eyes. That's yeah, why they something. can't kick it, hit a target. That's <laughs> why their eyes on their feet. <laughs> so yeah, look, we are facing a difficulty up forward with the personnel, and I think that's the primary factor. I think personnel is an issue. I put it on the, um, you know, in terms of what the improvements a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, about two weeks before Team Mac been out for twelve weeks, that that's my biggest area of concern is that second tall forward with Weed not coming on. I'm still, you know, hopeful, of course, that, oh, that we all are, yeah. he'll be able to. But that that was my area of of concern. But personally, I think that it's the issue is related to your point before, um, Andy, the pressure, and I think people about our game plan don't fully grasp is that. We, our offense comes from our defense. It's completely interrelated. And that's that thing I was talking about, the goodies thing about the three phases. If your defense, if our defensive system is, is not at optimal levels, then not, nor will our offense be. And so one thing we know about Goody is that regardless of the scenario, he's not going to, 
engineer a um, game plan change. He's not going to say suddenly do lead ups or lower your eyes or you know the frustration on Demon Land, which is a, it is frustrating that you know um, to watch is well why are we always kicking to a pack with two or three of our talls there? Why don't they get separation? Why don't we do what other teams do? The answer to that is because that's not our game plan. So like it or lump it, that's not the way we play footy. And Goody isn't of the type of coach who's going to go, you know what, we're fatigued, we're in a loading period at the moment, our, our whole of offensive um, system is built on our ability to slingshot off the back um, flank and from transition the ball, multiple waves running. Um, that's how we score. That's how we get separation. We're not going to – we can't do that at the moment because we're fatigued. You know what? We're going to we're gonna um, try a completely different setup up forward. He doesn't do that. And that was that's one of the interesting things about how he coaches. He sticks with his system regardless if it's not possible to be, you know, fully operational um at the beginning of the season scoring was not an issue for us and that's because we were running in waves we were getting in front of the ball we had multiple goals we could go back and look at the highlights i can think of 10 goals where yeah they've kicked from 60 meters to a free player running into goals or that and where they had options of two or three remember we talked about that goal sparrow hit back to fritter in the goal square and you made the point andy we had track on one side he had nibbler on the other side there was a third person all who would run ahead of um, GWS and because they couldn't go with us. That's when we were fresh and up and about and we looked completely irresistible. Um, and so, you know, our offense isn't working because our defense isn't working. As simple as that. So that pressure that you talked about, that's that defensive running and spread. And you take that out of the equation, we're a team that's not going to score. Not everyone, not every team is impacted by fatigue in the, in the same way. Like Geelong, for instance, have got such a brilliant forward line that you could rely on the skills of their, um, you know, their three key or their particularly um, Hawkins and Cameron. So they, they are stars. And if you get the ball into them, even if they're fatigued, they'll win their share of um, things. What's his name? Hawkins looked like he was a man wearing concrete boots. He still kicked three, two, you know, that's because he's a, a terrific player. Um, so uh, for me, that's the biggest cause. And it's not an issue to be concerned about because when the running power comes back, so will the offense. Um, but that doesn't change the issue that we've got with TMAC out. It's a huge, huge issue for us. Um, and I, I think it, you know, it is definitely an issue that might be the difference between us winning a flag and not winning a flag. No, no doubt about it in my mind. All right, let's uh, move on to what has gone right. Uh, we've each got uh, something to contribute uh, tonight uh, in this respect. And, for me, uh, what has gone right? Gus into defence. Uh, last year, one of the inspired moves from our coaching department was moving Gus onto the wing. Uh, Gus had an outstanding year in our premiership season, culminating in his superb performance in the grand final. This season, without Christian Salem and Michael Hibbard uh, in the side for a large chunk of the first half of the year, and with our key back stocks being in and out, it's been necessary for Gus to go back into defence, and hasn't he been sensational in, in that role? He's uh, second in the league behind James Sicily for marks, and boy, he has saved a number of certain goals uh, this season with his intercept and courageous marking this season. He's third at the D's for effective disposals and third at the D's as well for intercepts. Uh, There's been calls to either move Gus back to the wing or even back into the midfield and 
guys, short of cloning him, where should we be playing Gus for the remainder of the year, B-Man? Oh, look, I think we touched on it last week, but I'd be keeping him back at half-back flank. He's been brilliant, yeah. hasn't he? I mean, he really – he's in my um, uh, surprise. I forget what we called it, but I'll talk yeah. to him about it later on. Yeah. Um, I just think he's been brilliant back yeah. there. I've been um, I've been super impressed and it's – you know, it was a um, a stopgap measure to to cover the loss of Salem, obviously, but he's been playing so well and he showed such good leadership um, down back that it's it, it's probably a bit of a problem for Rivers in some respects yeah. because who's going to come out of that back six uh, if he stays down there? So shorter answer is I'd keep him down there. Um, Maybe Rivers goes to the wing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that looks like, but you don't worry about that. You keep the players who are doing well in a position, I guess. George? Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, why, why would you change something that's working so beautifully at the moment? And um, I think we saw the best of Gus come out in the grand final um, uh, when it was probably the first time he played that almost role and it was a saviour role and he did it at both ends of the ground, you know, within very short periods of time, you know, from when he kicked that goal to when he was back to st- stopping Shaggy, yep. um, get that mark. And um, obviously the coaches saw a bit in there um, that perhaps not everybody else did. And um, they've utilised that to our f- fullest advantage. And yeah, why, why would you change something that's working so well at the moment? But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be moving him into the midfield, but yeah, there's no need in the midfield at the moment. Jordan's holding up one side of the wing, Langdon's the other. You know, there's you don't move Oliver and Petraka and <laughs> out of the midfield uh, at the moment. So yeah, wh- why would you? But it is going to create a problem for that halfback flanker role um, as we get into the second half of the season. But maybe maybe it's not. We've got to get away from the concept of 18 players on the ground and. Uh, um, you know, Gus will be moving into the halfback flanker type of role because he'll be the rotation for Hibbert and he'll be the rotation for Rivers. Um, and uh, they'll be the rotation for him as well. So I don't expect any changes, but he's been fantastic. He's been brilliant. You know, one of the things I've loved about his game this year that, you know, I'll, maybe I'll talk about it now. Yeah, jump on it now. We may as well yeah, talk about it. In terms of. Um, um, this is, our, this is our who has surprised, uh, who is surprised surprise so, section. <laughs> but we'll yeah, bring so your surprises now. Gus uh, has surprised me how well he's played down back. Um, and personally, I, you know, there was a lot of talk about that third in the Brownlow um, that year. Um, I reckon that was the luckiest third you're ever going to get because I don't actually, to be honest, think he had that great a year. I was amazed that year that Oliver didn't. And maybe I'm looking through punting lens because I had a fairly solid go at um, Oliver to, to get most votes for the Ds that year. So I was watching it pretty intently. Could not believe that um, he came third or got more votes. I didn't actually think, you know, there's a lot of talk about Gus should be a midfielder. Uh, I, I, I thought his lack of pace was exposed and you know I, I never thought he was as good a midfielder as what a lot of people said I thought he did a great job on the wing but he's football um, has been really a, um, shot been able to shine down back um, and he's got skills that I remember when he first came in thinking that both the left right the way he kicks on the left foot the way he cooks on the right foot um, but the thing that's most surprised me this year um, is his marking his marking's been brilliant um, and I wonder whether the halfback flank 
is a good spot for him in terms of his marking ability because they can read the ball coming at them. Um, and it's he's really good one-on-one. Um, and he's number um, two in total marks in the AFL um, so far this year. Is uh, second in marks per game, um, which is remarkable. And the other thing that um, jumped off his stats sheet for me, his um, eighth in total intercepts. Um, uh, through the season. So for a fellow who wasn't a halfback flanker, they're really impressive numbers, um, particularly his marking um, and his contests. It's, uh, you know, sometimes they those numbers are padded out for some teams because they, they kick it back and forth. Um, um, they kick it back and forth on the halfback line, but we don't. We get it out. We get it out of there. So he's not getting many cheap marks where it's just a cheap back and forward um you know, lateral kick, uh, and he's getting a fair share of his contested marks as well. So he's been a real surprise. I mean, he, I thought he was brilliant last season, so you know, I'm not surprised that he's doing well. I'm just surprised he's doing this well in, in that role, so much so that you'd have to say on those numbers, um, especially the marking, uh, he, he must be in the All-Australian discussion for a halfback flank, I would have thought. Yeah, a couple of the, um, you know, they do the mid-year, couple of, like the, some of the radio stations do a mid-year All-Australian team. His name's been thrown out there, that's for sure. The other one that's interesting, he's um, fifth in total uncontested possessions, um, ninth in that same stat if you went for an average per game. For a halfback flanker, that's pretty. That's a pretty good number, isn't it? He's in the top ten in the AFL for uncontested possessions off the halfback flank for a team that, as I said, doesn't waste too many kicks lateral down in the back half. So uh, he, he's been stellar. Certainly has. Uh, George, we'll go on to your what has gone right Uh what has gone right for you? I, th- I think it's pretty easy in this case. Um, the 10 wins was what went right. You know, it was 17 in total in succession. Um, and as we're finding out now, you can't take those wins away. Once you've got them there, it gives you something to build on. Uh, gone are the, the worries that we used to have in years gone by of, um, you know, are we just going to make the finals? Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Everyone's looking at the future. But once you've got 10 wins locked away, you're almost certain to make finals, um, as uh, the betting agencies attest. Um, but the other thing that we can't, that um, you can't change, is the talent that the club has available to us. It was interesting uh, that exercise that was run during the week, where the C, the presidents were asked to nominate which yeah. player from another side they would, uh, from a rival side, that they would like to add to the list. And guess what? Three of them said Petrarca, two of them said Oliver, one of them said Jackson. Of the, I think there were only 16 of them contributed. <laughs> that was probably Frio of. that said Jackson. <laughs> yeah, but it was interesting that three of those players were playing for Melbourne, that we've got the talent. You know, one third of the, the presidents um, uh, reckon that we've got more talent in our side than... than uh, Not only uh, that... What, what, uh, George, three of them declined to answer, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So. On the grounds that it might incriminate them or... <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. They just declined yeah. to answer. Yeah. So g- gone are the years again when we you know, hang all hang our hats off a, a Robbie Flower because he was the only real talent that we had in the side. We've got serious talent um, in in uh, sitting in and around our midfield and, um, you yeah, know, that <laughs> didn't... 
people like Gorn weren't even in the conversation, you know, and with five all Australians already behind him. Well, that's so, probably because uh, due to his age, uh, you know. Yeah, probably won't but would, if you were a rival team and you were looking for a ruckman, uh, yeah, take him, yeah, yeah. Anyone would take him in a second. Yeah, but, first picked. Um, I thought that was fantastic. The sheer talent that we've got there, that won't go away. The 10 wins that we've got, that won't go away. So those things have definitely gone right for us this year. Um, big man, your what's going right? Uh, yeah, so uh, attitude. I, the thing that I think has been terrific, and you see it in the 10 wins, is the attitude of the coach, the attitude of the coaching staff, the attitude of the players. So that pressure stat is is an interesting one. Certainly, you know, the, it raises some genuinely um, important questions, you know, um, there could be a number of reasons, but one of them could be um, some a level of complacency. Um, but it doesn't feel like that for me watching this team. Um, they look like they've they've approached this season with the right attitude. I thought that when we saw them in the preseason de- against the Roos down at Casey, just the way they attacked that game of footy. And he said to me that they were on. There were a couple of players. I remember saying to you, just, I'm not quite sure, you know, Rivers didn't could, didn't like look quite on and then it's interesting that uh you know eight nine ten weeks later or three you know three months later he's not in the ones um but you know as a general thing it seems to me the attitude has been terrific and i think that's evidenced by leaving aside that pressure number again you know i'm not entirely convinced where that another one that probably suggests in that pressure is there was 16th in one percenters per game which is really low for us but we're fourth in contested per game um we're third in intercepts per game which tells me our defensive system is is whilst not at full rep power is working um really hard we're um first in uh, um least opponent tackles uh inside their own 50 per game it means our defense is is working hard back there we're fifth um uh, sorry second um uh, first in intercepts per game differential so those sorts of numbers you know um, first in inside 50s as well first, so we're getting the first ball in tackles inside 50 um so more from the attitude the, like yeah, yeah. first if number one in tackles inside 50 given how critical tackles are inside 50 does not speak for a team that's complacent you don't have that number so whilst the pressure is you know i could uh, you know i see your pressure and raise you tackles inside 50 um because there are some pretty good indicators if you just look at the numbers that we're in fact um, not complacent and that we're we're got our heads in the game and that we're you know we're on track psychologically um, and I think that that's super impressive you know the the wrinkle in that onion is the stuff that happened in the last few weeks with, with the last couple of weeks with May and um, Melksham and all of that stuff there you know but that doesn't necessarily speak to an attitude issue as it relates to playing footy does it <laughs> it probably speaks to a bunch of half cut well, that Offer. only happened uh, before the Collingwood game. I don't think the incident had any effect on on well, the game, Ex- no, except from <laughs> except for May not being in the team. And yeah. you can argue whether you think we should have played him or not, and that's a, a thing to do yeah. with, uh, 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 you know. Anyway. Uh, and I think, and it's. Goody's happy with them. Goody's happy yeah. with the attitude. He he reinforces it, and as I've talked about through the season. Goody's presses, I've loving him now. From someone who's like it was painful to watch, he's he's revealing, and you don't really need to, 
you know, he's not great at subtext, Goody, I don't reckon. And so you can see what he's trying to say or even when he's coding things, you can, like my comment last week about, you know, he's, he's um, comment about the method not being quite there. You know, you don't need to be Einstein to work out what he's saying. Um, and so, you know, if you listen to his post-match presses and his uh, presses during the week, he's happy where the boys' heads are at, um, you know, so I, I, that would be my main, you know, one of the things that I think is great is the attitude at the moment of the of the whole club, but the players in particular. All right, we'll move on to what has gone wrong. Um, and for me, uh, along with our inaccuracy, our connection with our forward line has been my most consistent gripe with the side this season. Each week we pick a positive and an improvement and invariably I have some issue with scoring when it comes to listing my improvements each week. Uh, the statistics in this area speak for themselves. We're ninth in the league after after everyone's played the 13 matches for points scored. That's not terrible, but it's not great and it, it's, it's fine because our defence has been uh, so good. Um, it's a long way off from uh, the massive scores, though, that we were able to pile on later in the 2021 season. Our, our inability to convert inside 50 entries into scores has been a big worry. I trotted out the stats earlier and noted that it's in our inability to get the ball. It's it's not our inability to get the ball in, but it's our conversion rate from those entries. Last week, I also trotted out the stats in regards to Tom McDonald's presence in the side. We average 96 points when T-Mac plays as opposed to 62 points when he doesn't, and that's that 34-point uh, differential without him. Um, and I also had some stats last week with T-Mac about the marks inside 50 with him, 20% as opposed to 12% without him. And our res our inside 50 is resulting into goal without him is 24%. Uh, that's with him, without him, 15%. So, yeah, that's going to be... And we just need to find ways to score without T-Mac. He's probably not going to be back this season. Might, might be deep into finals if we're still around and if he's fit enough to play. But, yeah, we've got to find... Um, avenues to goal without him. Uh, I don't think we, we've discussed this enough last week and uh, already tonight. So anyway, that's my um, that's my uh, what's gone wrong this season, our, our, our scoring. Yep. And it's more so in the last couple of weeks and there have been other, as we've identified, okay. other factors uh, to Can go along say with that. T-Mac, though, it's not just the scoring, so that all that's true. It's, I'd say one thing, it's a bit funny reading on Demon Land. He's gone from, you know, there was a bunch of people calling for, you know, Weed to come in ahead of him and that uh, T-Mac had shot, you know, run his race and he was yesterday's hero. Now he's the, the saviour. Well, <laughs> we're, we're not going to win a flag. but Stats uh, over the last two, one and a half years speak for themselves. Yeah, but, but you know, but you're right are around what he brings to the forward line. But one of the things that shouldn't be underestimated that we've lost without him in the side is the running he does up and down the ground because the defender's got to go with him. And a defender how many defenders who are tall as him can go with him a whole match and not blow up. And so he's not only stretching the opposition's defence, he's blowing up one of their, you know, their key defenders in an attempt to go with him the whole match. And that outlet kick that, you know, that's something that's going to be really interesting to see what happens for us because 
our game plan is so much built around in transition. If we haven't got a short option, when in doubt, kick long. To, if you're kicking to the city end from the punt road and kick long to the pocket, that's where it goes. Maxi's there, you know, and if Maxi's not there, it's T-Max there. Um, you take both of them out of the team and we can see what the impact that had in the last few weeks when they, the opposition start beating us um, in contested marks. Our game plan starts sort of eroding pretty quickly at the edges if you take that away. And another, yep. uh, one sec, George, another thing with T-Mac being out of the team in the last three weeks when we've had defenders go down in game, we had yeah, no one exactly. to, no one to yeah. switch to yeah. switch in, uh, swing around into defence. Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge out, there's no question. Yeah. The, the other thing we, we lose with T-Mac is, is goal-kicking accuracy. He, yeah. is, he is a very good kick Except for goal. Shots, yes. Yeah, and um, that that's something that's been a problem for us certainly in the last month or so. We've had you know the a lot of the mids taking shots from forty meters and and just not getting the distance even in some yeah. cases. Um, whereas if they're in the hands of someone like a T Mac, they you'd be going, oh yeah, he's probably going to get seventy or eighty percent of those shots. And, and yeah. we've we've really dropped off in that. And the games that we've lost in the last couple of weeks have only been by a couple of goals. You know. Kick a kick a goal instead of a point, or kick a goal instead of not even making the distance, and that'll win you an extra game. Yeah. Accuracy as well, because um, uh, I talked last week about the scores after half time in the last three weeks. We've been absolutely smashed, but it's also been our inaccuracy. We've kicked six mm. goals, sixteen. In yep. the last half. Now, I know our oppositions yep. have kicked very straight and have kicked 25 goals, yep. whatever. We've had a 106-point differential, but six goals, 16, you have 16 yep. goals, six. It's a different yep. story. Oh, well, we win two of those three games. So you're right, you've long said it's gonna, our inaccuracy <laughs> is going to cost us a um, win. Well, I'm well, not saying there's, we there's would no, have won those games, but... Yeah. Well, I am. Yeah, of okay. course we would have. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. there's another myth in footies, like, you know, in... Good kicking, bad kicking. You know, you know, when they wouldn't have won, I would have gone back to the center or whatever. Of yeah, course, yeah. we would have won at least the Swans game if we kicked yep. accurately. Exactly. I yep. mean, you know, that was was hopeless. The other thing about T Mac that that we missed down forward is that no one's blocking, and T Mac does That's a huge amount of blocking. Yep. And I, partly, I think it's a function of his high level elite basketball skills because it's just standard stuff to do in basketball. Who was blocking for Ben Brown on the weekend? I mean, Ben Brown's not in great form. He's someone who probably does get impacted. He looks a bit ungainly. So if he's fatigued from loading, like he's the sort of player that it's going to really impact on. But Brown, Mitch Brown, was doing no blocking for him. I mean, he's probably not big enough. But T-Mac does a huge amount of blocking, and it's really hard to see. And what was noticeable, I thought, um, on the weekend without T-Mac in the side, I'm not not sure if you fellas felt the same, is how often our big players and, and and specifically Gorn and Brown were being smashed in big packs mm-hmm. with no coverage, with no blocking, with no one mm-hmm. like Brown. It's not even blocking. T-Mac will, will go but run into a marking contest behind Brown. Uh, and if someone comes from behind, it's T-Mac who cops it, who gets smashed. But with take him out of that, doing that screening, like they talk about in basketball, is that it's just... Gorn and Brown getting smashed from behind. It was like it almost looked like a strategy on the weekend because they were smashing. It wasn't even looking like they were attempting to um, mark the ball. They were just multiple tours were coming to Gorn and Brown and just smashing him. 
which is why I have very little confidence in 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 Wiedemann coming into the team. It's not so much that I don't think Wiedemann can take a mark uh, and kick a goal. I don't think he can add that blocking. Mm. Uh, well, I reckon Goody's got it. Uh, Goody's he's the under he's the he's the weed whisperer. That's what that big boys thing was about. And did you hear him today? There was. Um, very opposite sort of noises coming from Goody, probably because he has to pull a, the the weed rain. So the to speak. This, there's no doubt. <laughs> Mixing all my be. metaphors and analogies there, but um, yeah, I reckon he's getting him revved up. And you know, I, I'm I've got this weird dream of weed coming good, and and maybe it's time. <laughs> I welcome it with open arms, uh, George. Uh, your uh, what are we? What are we on? The what's gone wrong? What, yeah, I, th- I think it's. The, I've got the easy one here. The injuries um, to the side, not not just uh, those injuries before the games and the suspensions before the games. They've occurred at, at critical points in the ground, both the defence and the forward line. Um, They've happened all at the same time. It's not like um, you know we've lost a, a backman here at the early part of the season. Well, we'll fix him. We'll, we'll have a replacement by mid-year or something like that. It's just all happened at exactly the same time. And as Binman has pointed out earlier, that yeah, you know, we our our defensive systems are the where we attack from, um, and then uh, we find when even when we're attacking, we've got an absence of players up um, at the other end. We've lost them in games um, in this last week. Yeah, we had Turner out. We had uh, May not there. We had uh, who else? Petty was injured. Pe- Petty was Petty injured. Petty too. That's two matches. He's played only barely a half a game of footy. Yeah, uh, you know, and then then to try and bolster the back line during that period of time, we took Brown out of the forward line so we could have another tall down back. That's how desperate we were. Um, during that time, it's all happened at the same time. So, Lever's a little bit proppy still. He looks, yeah, yeah, and it's not surprising he's a bit proppy because he's he's bearing the brunt of of um, the absence of all these other players around him. You know, Ben Brown's feeling the brunt of the no, not having a T Mac around to to help him out. Um, so it's not surprising they've all dropped off, and it's all happened at the same time. You know, while while the team was playing with. Um, a full back line and a, essentially a full forward line. We look fantastic. Uh, once those injuries have hit, um, it's really cost us a lot. The good news is, uh, apart from Max now, um, that most of the uh, and T Mac being out is we're going to get, at least get our back line back. So part of the part of the crew is back in the, in action, um, and we'll see. I think we'll start to see the effects of that um, quite considerably in the coming weeks. It's been, yeah, I agree. Like, I don't reckon you can underestimate the impact as well of, um, as you said, George, of the, of so many games having key injuries during the match. Mm. Like particularly when we're already struggling with our system down pack, it seems like there's been challenges thrown at it structurally where, you know, we're all applauding early on when we lost um, Salem, how quickly we recovered in that particular match and, you know, other examples where we've been able to shuffle our back defensive six to to sort things out when Lever went down. Um, but, you know, you can only do that so far before the, the, the cracks start to show. And, you know, like as I, as you said last week was just surreal. We had Turner who'd come in for an injury for May, well, not a, for a self-inflicted mm. injury with May, knocks himself into next week. You know, minutes later, Petty 
gets smashed again. He's off the ground. Gorn comes off minutes later. I mean, that's three of our key tall players gone in a three, four-minute period. So it's been huge. And the other impact is on such a – I mean, to be honest, it's a credit to how well – drilled this team is but that's an incredible lack of continuity compared to what we've used to in the last 12 months like you know not having the same back six at all at any point I don't think there's been a single game where the same back six is lined up or the back seven is lined up the following week I might be wrong there might be one or two but you know we've barely had had a game I'm sure we haven't had the same team at any point in consecutive weeks maybe maybe we've had a couple but our continuity has been you know, terrible in terms of players into mm-hmm. the team, and that has a huge impact. Um, so yeah, th- yeah, that's a hopefully, fingers crossed. Our um, second half of the season, we get a bit of luck from the injury gods. Uh, be man, what uh, what's gone wrong in your eyes? This is really not. <coughs> excuse me, it's not not to say gone wrong, but Fagazi is what came to mind when with this is and by that I mean all of the external rubbish that's been going on so we start the season in February with you know I don't blame the Herald Sun I mean it's just a that's what you do you try to create interest or whatever but that whole tech stuff and the Sorrento business and you know all of that was all all pretty unedifying to be honest and then for all of that to to come up again at the same time um as you know the may incident losing three in a row all of that outside noise you know of course the the club's done well to protect itself from it but that's got to have some impact it's got to be distracting to a certain level and um i thought it was incredibly telling and what was interesting was how little coverage this got but the letter from Kate Roffey um, to members um, but speaking of subtext and reading between the lines you didn't have to do either of that in that it was a credibly strongly worded statement um, in response to Bartlett's quotes in the age the other day about um, his disappointment nominally his disappointment in the um, the media um, it was a really interesting statement from from Kate I thought um, and speaks to I think a level of anger at the club in terms of that external noise um, and you know so that's out of our hands um, you know but it's definitely not ideal is it like to you know can only be distracting even if the club and the four walls and all of that palaver um, it's not great to have that external noise I mean the only positive I'd say that what's happened now is there's there was the tech stuff that went on for a few couple of a week or whatever. There was Steve May stuff. There was there was almost like too much information for any of it to stick. And then, unfortunately, of course, we got to go his trip to, to Bali. Well, first, you so, had Bailey Smith. Uh, Bailey Smith, you yeah. know, that's right. So we've got coked up Bailey Smith. We've got trips allegedly. to Bali and yeah, alleged a bag, yeah, a bag of white powder, allegedly. So, um, so really, probably Mick Warner and the Herald Sun were probably a bit disappointed not to get a bit more clear air for controversy because. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll move on to uh, what needs to change. Um, and uh, we've we've spoken about this. And B man, you might have uh, you might say that it's not such a problem for me. That, that just that pressure. Um, you know, pressure was that massive reason we held the cup aloft in that one day in September. We, you know, we've spoken about the pressure dropping. B man, you've uh, had a contention that we still have 
quite a bit of pressure going on in our game, um, you know. But it did look; it is noticeable that it is a little bit down. Um, this, this, um, and in particular in the three games, but uh, there are uh, factors why that is. A last season, you know, it was a team-wide effort to pressure and uh, to have that two-way running from every man, cover space, plug the holes. And I'd just like to see it on the scale that we saw last year. Uh, it is an area of the game that I believe needs to change. And, um, you know, if it, if, it, if it doesn't, if we don't ramp up that pressure in the back half of the year, then, um, well, I don't know if we'll be holding up any silverware. Um, well, I mean, just to be clear, is I don't think it's a major issue up till this point. We're ten three. Yes, but I'm talking about. I'm looking percent agree. Moving forward, we won't be winning the grand final unless we yeah. um, significantly increase the pressure. For whatever the reason is that it's where it is now, there's no way we win the grand final um, if our pressure doesn't get to the level it was last year. I must say that a lot of my criticism of the team this year has been as a result of the past three weeks and I do know there I am well aware that you know with the in-game injuries and and stuff like that there are factors but uh, it's hard to sort of look at the season as a whole so far without the le- looking through the lens of the last three weeks because it certainly has been disappointing despite uh, there being um, extenuating factors uh, George uh, what needs to change for you um, well apart from the injuries getting better. <laughs> um, I think that's a simple solution. I looked a little bit more on the long term and that was about the um, development players or the players coming through and I'm just a little bit concerned about the lack of, um, of uh, talent that, that's wanting to, to get a game. And in this season, you know, Jordan's done very well and we'll talk about him later on, but he, he played all 20 games last year. Um, so this year we've had Turner play one game, Bedford's played eleven in and out and on the on the bench. We've only had Dunstan and Chandler with four and three. My question is who who's next? Who's the who's going to improve this side? Because you, if you want to be up and challenging for a premiership again this year, you need to improve. And while we were lucky in that we had so many young players playing in last year's premiership. A lot of those players were the players who have improved. Who are the ones coming through now? Who's who's going to make us a better club? Who's going to make us a better team for the future? Um, and when you've got you know, Dunstan was has probably come in as a uh, a filler for in the middles more more than anything else. But Chandler and Bedford, um, you know, they once again they there's almost break class players at the moment. They don't seem to be pushing others out of the side when there's you know probably capabilities to do that um so my concern is what's going to what's going to happen in the future both the near and the longer term if we can't get that development going into these or these players showing more than perhaps what they have to date look there's also the the fact that um they all missed a season last year mm. um there was no reserves competition so you, you know, we lost a year of development and I think there's a quite a number of players running around in the twos at the moment that are probably still a year off um, challenging for, for a position. You know, Van Rowan, uh, Woden's a, a new player, uh, Moniz Wakefield. There's a few players there that have potential, but uh, probably just a little bit off. So, yeah, I agree. We don't have anyone that's sort of on the cusp now 
to get a game. And, uh, you know, look, we've got in the twos as well. You've got uh, Rivers running around. Hunt played last week in the twos. Uh, they can still come in and challenge and be, you know, significant uh, contributors to the team. Uh, Wiedemann, we've got hope that he can come along, but he could get in the team and do something. But, yeah, we don't have much uh, at the moment knocking the door down. Yeah, uh, the trouble is, trouble is we've got expectations after a premiership. Yeah, you, <laughs> you want premiership players in there. And uh, yeah, my question is, where are they coming from? B-man. Next year's draft. That's what they do. So we're writing, so we're writing off uh, this year then? <laughs> yeah, we're tanking already now. But, okay. uh, look, I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, it's a reasonable question. But I think, you know, partly I think the list, the depth of any club isn't that great. And ours has never been as good as what people said because I 100% agree with your point, George, for earlier is how talented this team is. This is by far the most talented football team, the, the Demons football team that I've ever had known um, in, my, in my lifetime. This is, you know, there's five solid All-Australians there and we're talking about Gus being, a, you know, he would he wasn't even in the conversation last year for All-Australian and suddenly is. So, you know, you've got starting midfield, Gorn, Petrarca and Oliver are All-Australian. Our starting best, you know, and Viney's probably not far He's had, uh, far behind. He's had a great season. He's probably, you know, behind some others. Um, but, you know, the the depth is never as strong. It's a, it's a hard, you know, 42 players um, on the list. You're not going to have, you know, it's always going to be a struggle, particularly when you get injuries. I, I think Laurie's coming along all right. Um, you know, I'm, I've got a... Um, you know, Van Ruin I've talked about, I think he's a star and I reckon he is a smoky to come into the um, team late in the season. Um, and and I, I quite like the look of Deacon Smith in terms of that level. And I reckon Rosman's a bit of an X factor. He's not going to be coming in this year. But, um, you know, so we've got some players coming through that um the system uh, and Disco Turner. I mean, you know, he's done well to make it. It's a pity, of course, that he's injured and um, a, a real pity for him. But he he looked at home, I thought. So he's someone who I don't think he was ready. Physically, he looked like a, a young player on that field, didn't he, when you looked at him. Um, so another preseason, and he's going to be, you know, someone to watch to slot into that um, back line. So, you know, it's the same issue that all clubs face really, isn't it? Like how do you, who's going to come up and push up um, through to your um, seniors? So, um, yeah, you know, some of those players will come on. Laurie will definitely come on. He's got the, you know, he was taken the pick before or the pick after Bowie. So, like, he's pretty highly rated by Taylor, obviously. So, you know, and uh, Taylor's got a lot of credits in the bank over the last few years. So, yeah, hopefully. I mean, it means Wakefield's probably the one that's got a little bit of X factor and he's he's probably got a, a pretty big ceiling because he come in as a, was he a rookie draft pick or a... Um, um, but he came in from playing his footy up in Darwin, didn't he? So he's, you know, he's got he hasn't had the benefit of a of an elite junior level um, thing, or at least a Victorian elite junior level. So I think he's got a fairly high ceiling, um, particularly once he gets a tank, because then suddenly you've got a player who can play that high half forward nibbler role, um, and he's got a bit of. Um, class around the goals and um, also a bit of, you know, competitiveness and fight and stuff. So, um, but, you know, Van Ruin's the one really that is probably closest to being senior selection. 
He was, uh, Monet's Wakefield was, um, he was via the Next Generation Academy system. Yeah, from up in Dharma, wasn't yeah. he? So, the, so he's got, like, he hasn't had the benefit of, of say, the, you know, the under 18 comp here with its elite level training thing. Oh, he's had what now, one full preseason at the D's? Or, yeah, he would have had at the beginning of the year, so it'd be good. This to get one is another, his first. Yeah, that's right. So he's one. got, you know, he 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 could come, he could really jump forward. I reckon. Biman, um, your need to change. What needs to change? Oh, it's really the sort of the point. I mean, it's is it inside our control, outside control? But what we need some changes. We need to now get some continuity. We need the same twenty-two on the park for a few weeks in a row. Um, we need a bit of a break from players cycling in and out of the team, and we need to sort of bed down. You know, our, our best twenty-two. We've not been able to for various reasons, but that's the thing. I, I, you know, that's probably what has to change for us to to you know win the flag this year is to get some continuity injuries settle down um players sort of can get some time in their roles that we're asking them that the club's asking them to play and um get a bit of synergy between them yeah definitely all right let's move on to um uh, some discussion on some individuals um who has surprised you this year? For me, James Jordan has been my surprise packer this season and surprised he's probably going overboard because I did have every confidence in him that he could have played and fulfilled a role in the grand final last season. And I, I think he's been fantastic this season in all the roles he's been given. He's primarily filled in on the wing uh, uh, as Gus had to move into the defence, as we've spoken about. Um, prior to this season, his PB for disposals was 23 uh, and that was from 25 games with which half a dozen or so was as a sub. And this season he's beaten that on five occasions, mostly in the last few ma- matches, culminating in a career-high 29 disposals against the Pies on Queen's birthday. Now, I'm not sure, haven't looked in the stats, George, you may know uh, what his time on ground approximately has been, but I gather it's been in the 60 to 70%. So once you, once you raise that, uh, to track and and Oliver levels up to the you know into the ninety percent, um, that uh, disposal rate's going to rise up even higher. And he uses the ball very well. Um, he's a he's a lovely kick for goal when he does take a shot. Uh, I'd like him to have more shots at goal um, when he gets down there. Um, but yeah, wrapped with uh, with James Jordan this season. It's been fantastic, hasn't he? I think his average. Last year was 14 disposals, and he's up to an average of 22 this year. You know, so that that's a dramatic increase, and and he played uh, 20 odd games last year, so um, it's nothing to be sneezed at. And he's yet to play 40 40 games for the club, so um, yeah, great upside, and he's been a real a real pleasant surprise. And um, you know, we we're wondering who in the hell we we're going to run in the. Um, uh, in the wing role, if Gus had moved down back, well, I think we found another winger. Big man, anything you want? Oh. Love him. Love him as a player. Just love a natural footballer. Yeah. As we've talked about over the last couple of years, Taylor has a real um, eye for natural footballers. It's the thing that obviously attracts him the most in terms of who he, he selects. If you look at, you know, all of the players, Bowie, you know, in the last couple of years outside, you know, maybe even Jackson. It's not, you know, not natural football in the sense that not in the way Jordan is at least. Um, I just, 
really love the way he goes about his footy. And, and I reckon he's underrated even by a lot of Demons fans, um, James Jordan. But he strikes me as a sort of player who, like his, um, not his namesake, his numbersake, whatever the term is, uh, Junior McDonald. I thought Junior was always an underestimated football. He was always one of my favourite players, both character-wise but also his ability-wise. I'd never thought Junior McDonald got the credit he, he deserved for uh, the level of football he played at. And I suspect that James Jordan, will end his career with a similar level of, you know, people will never give him quite the credit because he doesn't, he looks like a VFL footballer. He's, you know, he doesn't look fast, but he gets to the right spots. He, you know, his kicking action doesn't look aesthetically brilliant, but he hits targets. He, he, he's clever, he's durable. Um, but, you know, from Goody's perspective, the thing he must love the most is he can put him, think of the different positions he's played in these just two years of footy that he's played. Like he's played everywhere, halfback flank. He, he replaced Viney, um last year for a few weeks as an inside mid. He's played wing now, um, you know, and he's he's done great at any, every position Goody's asked him to play. So team player, role player, and as Uze said on the podcast when we interviewed him, by all the um, – what Ooze said was that he's a top shelf bloke to have around the footy club as well. He's a really first class citizen. So um, he's a terrific um, um, player at the club. And I think as George said last year, he's a future 250 gamer and he'll get there and go, well, didn't even notice him. (laughs) And he's a better cook than Tom Sparrow, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most important statistic. Uh, He's, I stand corrected, his percentage time on the ground uh, percents, uh, in these first half dozen games, were between seventy and sort of seventy high, high low seventies, high seventies. But uh, as of late, the last uh, half dozen uh, games plus, it's been in the eighties. Uh, his highest was eighty nine a couple against North Melbourne. So, yeah, he's uh, starting to rack up more time on the ground because last year it was a lot lower. It was in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. Um, uh, George, uh, who was surprised you this season? I, I moved away from players because um, uh, I think Jordan was my favourite as <laughs> Sorry. well. Sorry, <laughs> I got him before you. But I thought, what about the coach? Um, ben Man spoke about this briefly. Uh, he, he has been a real surprise. You know, winning a premiership is a wonderful thing, but you really start to see the character of people when when things get a little bit tough. And boy, have they been tough over the last, you know, month, month and a half and things like that. And he has stuck to his his guns. He's done it with with a certain aplomb and a certain confidence. He just exudes the confidence. Um, all the stuff that's been thrown at him by the, the Bartlett clan or whatever um, would distract a lot of other people. But he's just got on with his job. At, and given these circumstances last year with you know, marriage breakups and things like that. There's a lot of stress going on there. And, and then to top it all off, you've got players misbehaving and you've got huge injuries on it. And he turns up with these press conferences and they're just, just refreshing in that sense. To a lot of people, they might sell sand bland, but, you know, as Bin Man has said before, you know, there's messages in there for everybody if they want to listen to them. And it's just been consistent and and just pleasant to listen to. It's it's not it's not excuses about why we lost. It's not excuses. It's um, it's not not reasons or what sh- what the opposition should be doing. There's little messages in there every week, and it's always consistent. It's just so nice to have a have a coach like that. Um, not trying to explain away all the other things that get thrown thrown at them as a result of being a coach in the AFL. 
I reckon that's such a great call, George. It's spot on and I concur with everything you said. And, and I reckon the other thing I'd add is that he's also got a bit of a steeliness this year in terms of he's not suffering fools gladly, like not that he ever did necessarily, but he's he because he's more confident, because he seems a bit more relaxed, he's quite formidable when he's um, clearly upset, but he's able to maintain it. Like I watched a presser the other day um, and someone made a joke about um, going to the snow or whatever. And it was like childish questions. You know, it was just pathetic to be honest. Uh, and he gritted his teeth and glared and didn't say anything, didn't bounce back, didn't even respond to that, just let it go to through the keeper. But he's, you could tell his response was clear and he just, got on with answering the question but then the other day I saw him interviewed like this is uh, last week so interviewed directly after the Collingwood so the was it the previous um the Collingwood loss or I'm pretty sure it was um yeah it was directly after the Collingwood loss so he's got all of that emotion from after the game he has to deal with Robbo uh and he was asked about the um uh penalty suggestion by Kennett, which I couldn't believe. Like the fellow is the ex-chair or whatever of Beyond Blue and depression. And he was calling for um, Bailey Smith to be kicked out of the game for two years. Um, and Robbo asked um, Goody about it and his look, Goodwin's look could not have been more withering. Um, and he, he could barely hide his disgust at that suggestion by Kennett uh, and he said a couple of times to make sure it was his point was made that you simply could not even countenance putting him out of the game for two years um, and, and I think that part of that is part of that is totally right that's his opinion but part of it is his concern and love for his players and, and their well-being that's what drives that it's like putting someone out of the game for two years for what doing something that you know, everyone else's his age is doing ten times more. It's it, you know, I, I just thought the way he handled that question and he's you know was an example of how he's dealing with lots of issues at the moment. Where he's straight down the you know he's straight as a die. He, he tells you what he thinks, and you don't have to you don't have to try and decipher what the hell he's trying to say. Well, former Demon and former Hawk, Premiership Hawk, uh, uh, Jordan Lewis accused the D's of uh, being boring, saying he was nearly falling asleep watching us, that we're so predictable, uh, not challenging the opposition to defend in a different way. Um, every way, every side uh, which has played against the D's in the past three weeks, they've defended the same way, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Goodwin responded saying, you know, basically that he wouldn't uh, change the way we play. Pretty clear on the way we want to play. We've lost three games in a row, uh, but we do know our method stacks up and it has stacked up for a period of time. There are things we can do uh, within our game to change the way that looks and make sure we're a little bit more efficient in the way we play, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, you know, he sticks by his guns. Uh, of course he sticks by yeah. his guns. We won a flag, yeah. or am I going in an alternate reality? We <laughs> haven't won a flag in 57 years. This fella coached us to a flag. Hasn't he got some credits in the bank? And I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm starting to lose my bloody temper with Jordan Lewis because <laughs> I heard him um, prattle on with that rubbish last night on first crack. I don't know what his head's uh, at because he's an ex-footballer and he's talking about how um, boring we've been in the last three weeks and our losses and we're too predictable. He knows that we load. And he's still prattling on about that. 
Like it's he knows, and that's it's been raised by Scott just hours before, like three hours before that show was taped. I mean, what's his deal? Like, why why do you wouldn't frame it like that? Oh, Melbourne are playing predictable, but predictable won them a flag. I, I reckon he's like. I, I reckon somehow or other he's got his um, he, he's he's pissed off with the club because he barely says anything positive about the D's anymore, and he used to. And I, he's not doing any special skills anymore at the club, is he? I haven't heard that he's been down the the club. He was at times at the beginning of last season, um, but I wonder whether he was cut and he's I don't know what the deal is, but he's he barely says a positive thing, and most of the stuff he says is complete rubbish. Like that comment about us being boring. I, I don't get where he's where he's coming from half the time. Big man goes bang. Um, you've done your um, you've done your uh, surprise. We spoke about Gus a bit earlier on, so we'll move on to. Uh, just our next segment, we've got a quick one just on individual stats and uh, we'll just focus on the one player. Uh, when looking at uh, individual stats this season, you can't go past Clayton Oliver this season. He's number one in the competition for average disposals, 34.5. At number one for clearances, average clearances, 7.9. Average hardball gets, he's also number one with 5.4 and retained kicks inside 53.1. He's second in the cop for average contested possessions, 16.3, and fifth in loose ball gets, 6.3. Uh, individually, he's having a phenomenal season, racking up uh, over 40 possessions on three occasions, including a PB of 45 in the match against the Kangaroos. Uh, he is out-and-out out leader of the Demonland Player of the Year. I will bet that he'll win the uh, Bluey again this season. I mean, he's certainly the best. Is he the best footballer you've ever seen at the D's? I mean, you've seen Robbie Flower, you've seen Jimmy Steins. Uh, is Clayton Oliver the best you've ever seen, big man? Go on. Uh, not better than Robbie Flower, no. no. <laughs> uh, George? I think he's the best mid we've ever had. By the end of his career, do you think we'll be saying he's the number one player we've ever he had? Could, he, he could better be. No, I yeah. won't be. <laughs> Robbie yeah. wins a Brownlow, wins two Brownlows, Norm Smith medal, couple it of premierships. What you mean by the best? Yeah. Different it depends role. how you define it because you know this might be heresy, but I think the best. I think Track's got a pretty good argument that he's a more important player to us. You know, you could probably argue that to the cows come home. But, you know, Petrarca is the sort of difference maker in a grand final that, you know, every team needs. Um, you know, and of course, you know, Oliver's brilliant. He's a star as well. Uh, and he's gone well past ever being an accumulator, which he was accused of early days. So he's he's very impactful. But, uh, yeah, it depends a little bit about how you define the best. I mean, on pure talent, it's hard to hard to say that on just talent alone, nothing else, Petrarca is an incredibly talented player. Um, so, you know, so I don't know. I, I would have them both, to be honest, as the, you know, this debate was on Demonland a couple of years ago. It was pretty strong on back and forth and oscillating. And, and I'm not, this is no knock on Oliver. He's a total star, the best mid, definitely the best mid, you know, best mid since Glenn Lovett, I reckon, at the Ds. And, um, you know, better than Glenn Lovett. Sure, Glenn Lovett wouldn't mind being shaded by um, Oliver. But, you know, in terms of the match breakers, you can get another mid in. You can't – It's Petrarca is a really hard player to replace. So, yes, 
we would lose a huge amount if we lost Oliver, that goes without saying. Um, but it, for instance, if we replaced him with um, Brayshaw's brother, you know, so the numbers wouldn't drop off all that much. But who could you replace Petrarca with? Well, if you, you could barely pick another player in the AFL at the moment who would give you, um, you know, what Petrarca does. Dugowie would be, is talked about as a similar player, but he's not in Petrarca's league. Yeah, you know, he's at the back end of his career. Stringer, forget, you know, he's not, you know, so who else would be in that? that level of someone who could single-handedly change the course of the game the way track could. Um, you know, maybe Oliver. <laughs> He's done it a few times, I guess. But Let's move on to the next segment, um, which is our opposition watch. And uh, who, I guess the question that uh, we've posed each other is who is our greatest threat come finals? And I guess... I've chosen someone who I don't think necessarily is the best team in the competition, but uh, I'm going to stick with my pre-season tip here and, and stick fat with Carlton. Uh, they, they, they've got a tough run home, so we'll know we'll get a better sense of where they're at in the coming weeks. Um, and they do have some injury concerns. Their midfield rivals our own, I reckon, with the likes of Cripps, Walsh, Chera, Hewitt and Kennedy. Their forwards are formidable, certainly more formidable, I think, than ours at the moment, with Charlie Curnow leading the Coleman race on 40 goals and Harry Mackay on 27. They're a bit depleted, as I mentioned, down back with Weedering out, and one criticism of the Blues is that they still have the ability to bleed scores and cough up leads. And for me, they're a bit of an unknown and I don't like the prospect of playing them at the G with a big final starved crowd behind them. Um, so for me, I think, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about them and I don't know if it's just my, um, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned before I've got a lot of mates and they're all up and about. They've been lining up for finals tickets all season since the preseason um, and I'd love to have them shut up in the next few weeks. So. <laughs> Let's hope as they come up against some actual top eight competition that uh, we see where they're at. But, uh, yeah, I'm a bit worried about them, but uh, probably not our biggest threat. Um, George, who's your biggest threat? Um, sad to say um, Geelong. Um, who we all wrote off at the beginning. Of the who we all wrote <laughs> off, yeah. They're all old and, and falling away, and they still are. Um, but looking at where Geelong are at the moment... Um, and their run home, while most clubs, you know, in the top eight, there's a fair number of t uh, clubs playing each other. Um, what was interesting for the Geelong is that they've got their next three ga games are all at home. How did they out. get such a blessed draw? Like you look yeah, at their run yeah. home from a, yeah. for a top four team. And, th and then it doesn't stop at that. While they have two away games after that, then of the, of the last four games, they have another three at home. Yeah, so um, looking at Geelong, I think there's a, a real a real chance. Uh, they play five of the current top eight, but I think there's a real chance with that home ground advantage that they may well finish, you know, they could well finish top two um, coming in. The other interesting thing about it them was um, last week, before the last week's game, uh, they had 13 on their injured list. Um, but as of this week, uh, there's only Parfit is the only one who will be unavailable. Uh, they've got three others who haven't played a game, but they've basically got a whole a full list apart from Parfit. So home home ground advantage and and few injuries. They'll and um, 
uh, all these old legs that they're able been able to rest, um, I think they will challenge in terms of where they'll finish at the end of the season. I think they'll fall over again in the in the final series because those old legs don't get any younger. But um, I think they'll put themselves in a position probably for another preliminary final. It's interesting, George, leaving aside the, <laughs> the fact that Scott basically came out and confirmed um, that clubs do load and have been forever and a day and um, that that's always been part of the Cats program. I thought what was really interesting about his comments was the philosophical shift that it indicated. Um, you know, it might have been a bit of a, not a throwaway comment. No, it was a throwaway comment, but he might have been over-egging the pudding a bit. But he said that he he's happy, like, if that they're going harder than they normally would um, in this period now because it hasn't worked for them previously and that, you know, clearly without, you know, his suggestion was clearly Melbourne were by far the fittest team in the finals last year and steamrolled everything in front of them and they don't want to be in that position again. I, and I, I thought it was a re- – and then he said, you know, that if that means this heavy loading now that we're doing now means that we finish ninth, so be it, was his comment, which I thought was a really interesting philosophical shift and I, I thought to myself, right, okay, they're, they're now a contender where I didn't think they were at the beginning of the season, almost because of that philosophical shift because what they're saying now is that they've had the, you know, the whole football world applaud them now for over a decade for finishing top four regularly. But, you know, so what if you're not winning a flag? It's what we talked about last year. And it seems as if they've come to that exact same conclusion. And I wonder whether, I've always quite liked Scott and and his presses is another one. His presses are excellent and I I really like his honesty. But I wonder whether Hocking has played a role in that as well. He's come in, he's famously, you know, he's proactive um, Hocking and, um, you know, he's got some pretty clear ideas. and, And I wonder, you know, whether he's come in and said, given authorization for a shift in philosophy because it's not just up to the coach it's a whole club decision isn't it it's like there's a lot of reasons why it's important to keep putting yourself high up in finals not least of which that you contend um but that's partly based on a logic if that we continually put ourselves in the frame in top four we'll get one but they clearly come to the conclusion. I mean, he couldn't have made it more clearer. Clearer, He said as much. It's not whatever we've done in the past hasn't worked, and so we've got to go harder is essentially what he says now. Um, and what I read into that is replicating the approach that the Ds have taken, and I reckon that will stand them in really good stead because they are a super talented list. I was thinking, you know, Brisbane have probably got the second most talented list, but, you know, geez, they've got some guns. Um, a big factor will be... Um, Dangerfield hasn't been much spoken. It's, it comes up every now and again, but he's not been the same footballer. But if they can get him back on the park, fully fit and firing with that forward line, um, yeah, I'm, I did. I expected them to fall away, but um, been impressed with. It's not just actually that physical stuff. They've changed their game plan to be more mm. territory focused, and so it's been a big shift in mindset. And I think because of those things, they're a much more um, dangerous side than I would have had them at the beginning. And I agree they're they're a legitimate flag contender now, whereas I didn't think that was the case at the start of the season. Uh, B man, you want to move on to your um, biggest threat? Uh, look, you know, I think it's been, um, for me, Frio's the biggest um, threat because, 
I think in footy now, you're not winning a flag without a, a really sophisticated defensive system. Um, I don't think um, I think Geelong have got a really a great defensive system. It's built on a model that they've had in place for a long time with intercepts. They've got Stewart back there, who's just a star, total star. It's amazing to think he came from playing not even VFL level footy into that that setup. But um, the the Frio are the only team that have got a defensive system that's anywhere close to as efficient and effective as ours. Um, I think they're a, a year away, two years away, probably realistically from being a super contender. It's one reason why, barring injuries or um, you know uh, things, it's one reason why I'm confident of us continuing to win and without banging on about punting all the time. It's also the a key reason why we're still 360 to win the flag and they haven't come in much shorter. Um, They've got, you know, some really solid players. I reckon Darcy's going to be a star, total star. They've got Brayshaw racking up numbers. They've got uh, Pierce holding um, back a, a defensive um, back half that, uh, you know, numbers very similar um, to, to Melbourne in our, you know, our um, last year. They've got some X factor in players like Schultz. I think that's probably where they've got it over us, to be honest, is they've got sharper small forwards um, uh, in Fredericks and Schultz have got players who can do the business and also tackle um, but both take their chances they're both goal sneaks like really we've only got Cozzy who would fit that sort of um, category um, you know I think they've got height um, down there and Tabernas an underrated player I reckon um, so they've got a lot going for them and in a similar way um, as Geelong teams have to travel every second week you know they're playing teams on their home deck which is the longest trip in footy, isn't it, over to Perth? Um, so yeah, I, I would have primarily because of their defensive system and the, and the way they play um, as as the major threat. All right, let's move on to our Smokies. Um, uh, if I had to pick uh, a Smoky for finals, it's got to be the Suns. There, there are chances to sneak in given a favorable favorable draw. They're they're young, they're full of run, they're playing some good footy at the moment. If not this season, then uh, look out in the next few. And, you know, we've seen that things can turn around very quickly in football and I'd love them to get a crack uh, at, at finals. Uh, look, we had a tough against them early in the season. So, um, yeah, look, they're, they're a bit of a smoky um, and definitely one to watch in the in the years to come. I, I concur. I, I, I really like that. I want both of the expansion, so-called expansion teams, to be successful because it's – Good money after bad, isn't it, if they're not? Um, mm. And I, I really like what Stewie's do's done with them. Um, I like the way that the clubs back Stewie you in. I really have disliked the talk about Clarkson being able to choose whichever club he, he wants. Um, I, I, I really enjoy watching him play. I heard early in the season, I think it was Sam Edmund or, or one of the commentators say that a player had told him, um, that uh, a D's player had told him that by far the most physically tough game so far this season was the game against the Suns. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. I'd, I'd love to see them do well. They're going to struggle to make the eight, but um, if they do, they could do some damage with the way they play footy, I reckon. They're only a game out. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty big log jam yep. in that. Yep. Um, George, your smoky. Uh, the other one, one of the other ones in the logjam is Sydney. Um, never underestimate Sydney, mm. uh, particularly with the way Longmire's got them trained. Um, uh, this week they've basically only got uh, Hickey is the only one not available. So they'll um, and Laddams has been suspended for 
for a little while. Um, the remaining games, they've got six games against the top eight, but three of those are at home. Um, there are away games. Uh, two of them are against North and Essendon. Hmm. Um, so th- you'd think those would be easy wins for them. They've got to play St Kilda twice. Um, oh, still. One, <laughs> still, you know, in the second <laughs> half. So um, uh, those will be effectively um, uh, games to decide whether they get in the finals or not for mm. both sides, I'd yeah. imagine. Um, but, yeah, the... A John Longmire trained and coached team. Well, you know, they beat us. They've they've got great systems. Uh, they could be a, a smoky um, outsider, uh, especially if they get into the get into the finals and start creating chaos for other other people. Big man, your smoky. Uh, my smoky is the Tigers. Um, again, it's partly for the same logic as why why I. I put uh, Frio as our biggest threat is that the Tigers have got, you know, a defensive system that we modelled our game on. Um, defensively, they're really strong. You know, if if you were to ask people what do you, you know, list the top four teams um, who in centre clearances this year, and I'll give you, you know, for those playing at home, Melbourne aren't one of them, we're 10th. Um, Bulldogs are number one. Everyone talk, raves about your team, Andy, um, the Blues and their centre clearances, but they're third. The Lions, everyone knows that they've got a good centre clearance um, set up. They're fourth. Tigers are two just behind um, the Bulldogs um, in centre clearances. They're looking, um, you know, in good shape at the moment. I think they've won five of the last six. They're, they're um, talking about the Suns. Suns are number one on the um, one percenters in the AFL um, averages, team averages. Tigers are sitting in just behind them. Um, and Dockers are fourth on that um, power um, third. So, you know, a lot of their numbers are looking starting to look similar um, to their premiership years. Um, they're defending well inside 50. Um, you know, I think their talent-wise is is a bit thin, but, you know, they're playing with spirit. Um, and, you know, they've if they do make the finals, they've got a lot of finals experience to draw on. So, you know, if we don't finish top four, you know, I would hate to be playing them first week, that's for sure. And I'm sure that any team who finishes let's say they finish eighth or whatever, no team's going to want to play the Tigers in the finals. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite frightening uh, falling out of the top four. There's uh, going to be some hungry teams that just creep into the finals. You don't want to have to play those yeah. teams. Uh, no one uh, took the Lions. Does anyone want to just talk about them as finals uh, threats? I guess we'll find out. Uh, mm. We've played I, them still twice. I just think they don't have the defensive system to, yeah. to win a grand final. Yeah, they've been in the finals the last couple of years and failed miserably. Um, Straight sets, in fact. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, like like, so, like Ben Man said, this, it's about the systems in the finals and, and they've, got, they've got some talented players all around, but they've got some fragile players who go missing all at the wrong times as well. So... Yeah, and your point, I think if it was last show or maybe the one before, George is is I think a good one. At, um, is that it's not like that you know they've been up and about near the top end of the ladder for a number of years now. It's not like they've suddenly introduced a whole bunch of new players. So we know what we're going to get come finals. That's why I was amazed that they haven't tried to retool a little bit the way Geelong have, um, because I would have thought that the history suggested whatever they're 
style isn't isn't getting them to the promised land um that some changes because suddenly it's a relatively old list the one player that i would say is a huge thing for them and i love the way he plays footy is cam rayner um he didn't play hardly at all last year and he's a big in he, he changes the way they they play footy um he's gives them that forward spark but um i just think that they've you know in addition to the fact that i think their defensive system is not up to it the um I reckon they've got some players that you wouldn't want to rely on too much in terms of just breaking down and injury Danaher being the, the obvious one. I will move on to the run home and uh, no, uh, I'll spare you all. I have not done the ladder predictors <laughs> as we did last year. That was a, a, a failure. Uh, did not see us uh, finishing top of the ladder. Uh, certainly not in this, the manner that we did it. But we do have a tough run home. We've got Brisbane at the G uh, coming up on Thursday night. Crows in Adelaide, Geelong at the Cattery. So they're two, you know, uh, look, we lost to the Crows uh, last last year. No one expected it. And then to have to back it up at the Cattery. And then to add uh, insult to injury, our home game in Port against Port at in the Alice. So we've got uh, three weeks on the road. Um and then Bulldogs at Marvel, always going to be a tough prospect. Um, and then travelling again, Frio at Optus Stadium. It's going to be uh, that's that's a that's going to be a tough a tough away game. But it is at our fortress over in Perth. And then uh, got a couple of weeks of the G with the Magpies. Uh, I reckon most likely going to be that hasn't been fixtured yet, but I reckon that's likely to be on a Saturday night. And then they're saying the next week is Carlton at the G, which they reckon will be on a Friday night. And then finishing up, Gabba, uh, which they reckon will also be uh, Brisbane at the Gabba on a Friday night. So, look, it's a tough run home, but um, if we want to win a premiership, we know what we've got to do. It is a tough run home. Leaving aside what that means for the Ds in terms of where we finish on the ladder and our chances of top four and all of that stuff. It's pretty exciting though, isn't it? Like, you know, I mean, even, even big fans like ourselves were getting a little bit complacent at nine, nine zip and God, you know, we're going through the motions at the footy, you know, tra la la la. But, you know, this back end of the season is each game of them, you know, bar one or two is uh, out and out um, blockbuster, isn't it? Mm. So, mm. you know, I, I think it's for D's fans, knowing that we go along to each game for the rest of the season and it's got something big on the line. Um, a lot of eight-point games there in terms of thinking, you know, finishing top four. Um, even the other ones against the non-top four teams suddenly become important that you win them. Um, you know, the Crows game, for instance. So it's terrific in terms of what's left for us for the rest of this home and away season as fans. I, I reckon it's fantastic. And I would, I made the case and, and I, and I think is the case is that it's good, f you know, for us um, to enter the finals, having played those games. Um, I think I've said this, but Jack Rewalt said he feels a factor in 2018 was the fact that their back end of 2018 after a dominant season, by far their most dominant home and away season in their, their four years that they were up the top of the ladder and they won the three flags. It was not helpful for, in his view, it wasn't helpful that they had a, um, a whole bunch of easy games in that in those last three, four games. We won't have to worry about that unless we flog them all by six points but I can't see that 
Uh, also, we uh, don't, uh, of the last remaining nine games, only three of them at the G, but uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing considering the past three weeks at the G. Yeah, we keep losing there <laughs> in, in any case. Can we make a case for all our home games except the grand final, or at least some of them to be at Optus? Yeah, well, we've got one of them, so <laughs> we'll yeah. see how we go. Um, our last last point that we're going to talk about are our weirdest things about the season to date. Bimman, I believe you uh, you brought this one up, um, uh, this question, you posed that to us. For me, the weirdest thing about this season to date has been the rolling fixture. The rolling fixture was thrust upon us, uh, or thrust upon the football public last season due to the uncertainty of COVID, and, you know, that was all well and good. Uh, I also had no problem with the AFL revisiting the rolling fixture format this season because it was sold to us with the promise that they would reward teams that were performing and give them prime time slots. And having won the premiership last year and having won the first 10 games this season, I don't believe that we've been adequately rewarded in this regard. Moreover, teams that have not only underperformed but have stunk it up, um, have benefited benefited from their failure and the case in point is Essendon have just played two Friday nights in a row and will be playing in an absolute blockbuster this Friday night against wait let me just check my notes uh the high-flying West Coast Eagles um I just don't understand that you've got uh these the AFL you know has more egg on their face this week because first place second third place fifth fourth place sixth and seventh place eighth this week and none of, I mean, we're playing on the Thursday night, which arguably isn't great for... Poor man's Friday. <laughs> yeah, well, it also... It, it, I don't know. Look, it might be good for TV, but... It's not good for... Uh, it's not good for... It's, there could be, there be 50,000 if that was a Friday night. That's... It, we, exactly. 30,000 probably. Exactly right. And they've got Essendon playing West Coast. And they knew full well when they scheduled that match on Friday night that both teams were terrible this year. And that was the rolling fixture. The whole point of the rolling fixture was to reward teams. And Frio, who have been playing great, have been given one Friday night this whole season. You know, come on. Now, the topic, Andy, was the weirdest thing, not the thing that makes you most angry. Well, that's weird and angry. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what to do. Weird was funny. I don't know. uh, That's weird to me because why wouldn't you do... It's not about even what. All right, it makes me angry, but it is. It's you got the rolling fixture. Use it. Yeah, it's just weird that they're not. But I don't know if Essendon supporters are going to watch it. And Eagles, you can see the Eagles fans aren't going to the game. Have a look at Eagles Geelong. Was, you could sit anywhere there. Mm. It's empty. <laughs> um, uh, George, what's your weirdest thing? My weirdest thing is after 57 years and finally getting a premiership, how uh, supporters, uh, in particular, <laughs> their approach to the game. <laughs> it's, it's, in previous years, we used to, you know, look at ladder predictors constantly. To I think, haven't looked at the ones. Look, who are we playing next week? Um, it's a completely different expectation. That you know, when you're 10, 10 zip at one stage, even 10 three now. You've got a different approach to the way you you look at the future, and you've got a different approach to to where you've been. You know, if you're six seven, you're worrying about you know who are we playing this week, what are our chances this week. You, you're not looking at the longer picture. But I thought it was also interesting that um, you know, the the club and the and the players even would have a different approach to it. You know, the the players. Um, I was wondering, you know, the coach, how does the 
how does the coach retain player focus mm. when every single game, when you're five and seven or something like that, is about next week and just next week, yeah. you know, getting over the line? Whereas we we would have a different approach to the season now. Okay, Max is out for the next four weeks. What are we going to do about it? But we've got a, a longer term aim towards the end of the season. Um, so it's it's weird after fifty seven years having this this very different approach, and you sort of wonder how um, clubs like Hawthorne um, had a probably had a similar sort of situation in their uh, premiership years. You know that uh, you just don't focus on the next game; it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and no, I reckon that's an interesting point, and that sort of goes to what I was saying before about the what it, what it takes to keep get them mentally peaking at the right time, not the physical peaking, the mental, which is sits with a coach and also probably Burgess was as much a psychological coach as a physical coach potentially. That's a, you know, who knows? That's a bit of an unquantifiable thing. But I always remember, you know, over the many years that I've followed a, a, a footy team who's been not in finals contention for almost all of that time or for a very high percentage of it is is wistfully listening to players from other teams or coaches or players mainly from the Hawks and the Roos in the 70s. And, and those teams are always at the top is that it's not until the weather turns a bit warmer that everyone gets switched on. That it's all, you know, it's after winter's finished is when they start. They can feel spring in the, the air and that's when they really turn their you know, attention to to um, going on to win a grand final. You know, so they play. You know, going through the motions until August, and um, of course, winning still ninety percent of their games. So, um, yeah, like you know, I think that, and what I have heard lots of players who have in that situation say is that come that time of year you don't need any external motivation you don't need anyone ramping up you know what's ahead of you suddenly it's only even now it feels like what we've only got nine more games for the home and away suddenly even now with all of the teams having had their bye um finished now the ladders is as it should be in terms of everyone's that we haven't got missing things because of it does feel like suddenly that the end of the season's not that far away a few weeks ago it felt like it was never going to get there uh, B-Man, your weirdest thing about the season? Uh, yeah, I couldn't split Bevo's moustache. Um, his infamous post-game pressure, presser, where, which was just next level, wacko weird. That was, was was crazy. But then the other thing was his comments in the, the Bulldogs' um, um, uh, season launch at Fed Square, and you know, the I, I couldn't go past that for total weirdness. And so, I just want to read these quotes like when the last coach uh, references, um, he referenced the famous Marxist philosopher Rosa um, Luxemburg, social activist Mahatma Gandhi, and the Argentinian born revolutionist Che Guevara. Um, and he said this, Che Guevara in his motorcycle diaries says to be a revolutionist, you firstly need a revolution. He's right, of course, but someone or some group needs to start the revolution. This is at their season launch. On a more football-centric scale, our Bulldogs' revolutionary intent is to establish ourselves as a benchmark of this competition over a stained period of time and through this generating a groundswell of support that challenges the highest memberships in the competition, incites the broadcast insights the broadcasters of the game and nurtures partnership with existing and potential people and entities. 
brilliant stuff, just fantastic stuff. Pity for him that it's been less Che Guevara, more, um, I can't think of a mild Che Guevara, but a less successful Che Guevara. Maybe Che Guevara was a good choice because he wasn't particularly successful. He was in power for a long time, though. Um, so maybe that's what um, Beveridge is thinking about. But on the back of those somewhat obtuse comments, um, they're not really the powerhouse this year that, uh, you know, people who would have been chanting Che Guevara in the in zinc at the Fed Square must have been doing. So, yeah, he's definitely gets my my tick for the weirdest, weirdest person in football, really. <laughs> that he is. All right, boys. I think we've talked uh, long enough um, and I think we'll leave it there. Thank you. Man, thank you, George. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week to uh, hopefully discuss a return to the winners list uh, after our match against uh, the Lions. Let's go, those demons. Go, Relegas.